Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I'm sorry I screamed. Hello and welcome to the V-Single Podcast. I am your host, Allison Stevenson. Uh, I am, yeah, I'm V-Single. You guys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, If you don't know by now, this is a podcast about relationships, dating, singledom, and everything in between. Um, It's also just, you know, a place for me to kind of talk out loud, air some things out, and uh, I thank you for listening. Um, Anyway, yeah, so uh, I guess I'll just start with some, a little life updates from me for those of you who are keeping up with my love life. Look, I, you know, again, it's been such a short amount of time. It's been like a week, okay? It's been a week, but I've hung out with somebody like three times already. Wow. And that's all I'm going to say, okay? I don't want to talk about it. It's too soon. But let me tell you, it's nice to be reminded of what it actually is like to meet somebody who is emotionally available. It's like, oh, yeah, this is what it's. They make time for you. Oh, yeah. But again, I'm not, I'm not going to get too into it, okay? Because I I haven't even told him about my podcast. And, uh, you know, if this goes somewhere, then it would have to be like a discussion, I guess. Um, and, you know, that's something people ask me too sometimes is like, oh, like, do you run it by the guys you're dating that you do tell them they're going to talk about them or whatever? Like, is that awkward? Do you guys hate it? Um, and the answer is yes, they do hate it. Um, <laughs> but I don't give a shit. Uh, no, just kidding. I actually, if I'm like dating, dating someone, which doesn't happen that often, so it's not a huge deal. But when I am like in the middle of dating someone and if I'm doing the podcast at the same time, I do talk to them about it. And I'm like, hey, if I bring you up, are you cool with that? You know, if I, you know, what are the parameters, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if it's like somebody I already, we, you know, we had our time together. We were hanging out for like a few weeks or we had like a date or we just hooked up or whatever. Yeah, I don't mind talking about that because, you know, I practice discretion. I don't like to give away details of who that person is. I don't like to, you know, obviously say anything about them and any obvious way that would like let you know who that is so I feel like it's kosher um because you know I have to talk about my life and um sometimes they know about it sometimes they don't 
And uh, yeah, no, I feel like to me that's fine. But yeah, if I'm actually like when I had a boyfriend and we were doing be single those like many years ago, he knew what was up and I would tell him like, hey, you know, I'm going to talk about our relationship and all these things. And, you know, it wasn't perfect. Like on my end, I don't think I was super forthcoming because I wanted to like kind of protect him and his feelings. So there were definitely things I wasn't saying um, that, you know, I probably, I said a lot of it last episode, actually. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting kind of, uh, juggling act that you have to do if you're like hosting a dating podcast and actively dating someone, you know, what is that line between being honest and real, but then, you know, not going overboard to the point of like, basically, putting someone on blast who like doesn't necessarily consent to being like put on blast so hard, you know? Um, but yeah, so that answers that question you didn't ask. Um, and that's all I'm going to say. I had two, I told you last episode, I was like, I'm going on two dates and both were good. I'm not, you know, one of them also nice guy. We got along. I wasn't like, you know, overwhelmed with, uh, fucking, you know, like chemistry, like, oh man, I have to see this person again. But he was very pleasant and he was like, I would love to see you again. And I was like, yeah, sure. Hit me up. We can like make a plan. And, you know, and he was even saying how he's like, you know, wanting a relationship and finds himself being single for longer than he'd like. And we did kind of talk about that and related a lot about it. And, and yet, you know, not really communicating that much. Uh, he did say, like, oh, are you free later this week? And I was like, yeah. And then we kind of left it at that. And he was like, okay, I'll hit you up. And I was like, hmm, okay. But, you know, it's interesting to me because then I met this other person literally the next night. And we've already hung out multiple times. So, that's just to say, you know, you can even, you can even say that you're ready to seriously date and, like, be with someone and still not really mean it. Because, look at that, actions speak louder than words, don't they? I'm saying nothing new here, I know, but it takes actually experiencing it to, like, have that important reminder of, like, oh, right, okay, so this is what somebody who is genuinely interested in you acts like. It's not the guy who texts <laughs> once and says, let's maybe hang out later. I'd like to hang out again. And that's no dig on him. I'm like, you know, it has nothing to do. I'm not judging him or whatever. It's just like, that's a clear, stark, like, okay, you might think say that you're down but you're not or you're not you know if you're not acting like it what's what's going on there because now I'm experiencing someone who is down so far again it's very new very beginning only hung out a few times but it's just so refreshing it's just really nice like 
oh yeah, okay. Just the, the nice reminder that I needed of like, oh right, this is what someone who likes you acts like. <laughs> I hadn't had that in a while. Like even in past, in like the past few like years, two, two three years, when I have kind of like dated people, like we'd hang out maybe like once a week and not really, you know, there was no urgency. There was no, oh, I have to see you, you know? And then this person is showing me more of like, oh, I really want to make time for you. I want to see, like, that's what I love. Because it's like, if you really like somebody, you make time for them. You don't change your schedule necessarily unless you want to, but you just make time. You find a way to make it work where, oh, I'm going to this thing at seven, but if you want, we can get like dinner before it, you know? Or, oh, like we can hang out after and go grab a drink and, you know, hang out after like the rest of the night. You find ways to make time for that person because you want to interact with them. Interesting. Crazy, right? Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I am, I am in a good mood about that, but again, we don't know what's happening. Calm down, everybody. Calm down, people. It's, it's been just a few hangs. I'm not getting ahead of myself, but I will say the availability is nice. Um... Okay, with that being said, I actually, let's dive into the meat of today's episode. Um, I hinted it last episode. I said I wanted to talk about this book. And, you know, I I haven't read the entire book, but I think I've got the gist of it. Um, it's, I'm, I'm about halfway into it, maybe. A lot, it's, ver- it's a very repetitive book, let's put it that way. Um, and then some books, some chapters, I'm like, this. I don't care about this, you know. So I, I think I get the gist. I think I get the basic idea. Um, and I just, I love shit like this. Like, I, I have this place that I like to go in the valley. It's called the Psychic Eye Bookshop. Uh, shout out, Psychic Eye Bookshop in uh, Sherman Oaks, California. Um, it's one of my favorite stores to go to. And, you know, I'll get tarot readings sometimes or I'll just walk around and look at stuff, and they have, like, a section, they have, they're kind of broken up into two stores, and, like, they have, like, a smaller store, like, the Annex, that has a bunch of used books, and obviously most of the books are, like, in the realm of, you know, Wicca, mysticism, philosophy, and spirituality, and astrology, but then they do have, like, this little section that's, like, self-help or whatever, where I always randomly find them, like, most out there, interesting, like, forgotten type um, relationship books. And I think if you guys remember from the past when I talked about this book called The Commitment Cure, it's also a used book from the Psychic Eye Bookshop. That is a book I really like uh, from Rhonda Findling, who we actually had on the show back in the day. Um... And basically, we got a kick out of it because it was talking about um, the ambivalent man, which is, you know, modern day, we would call this type of man an F-boy. 
And so she has this really great book that, you know, kind of precedes, whoa, is that a word? Precedes the F-boy called uh, The Ambivalent Man. And uh, it's a really good book. And so I love finding random books like this that, you know, exist and they're out there. But for some reason, they didn't like hit the uh, cultural zeitgeist like, you know, something like he's just not that into you or why men love bitches or whatever. Um, And, you know, I think maybe there's a reason for that. (laughs) But um, I was very intrigued by this. The cover is like very sexy it's called relationship strategies the e and p attraction and then it's like at the bottom it says dot 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 can you afford not to know uh which is great uh by a person named john g campus phd and then i was also very uh Uh, intrigued by a little banner here on the book that says forward by florence henderson and i was like wait a minute is that that's that's the brady bunch uh, I know, I know who that is. Why would Florence Henderson of the Brady Brady Bunch give a foreword to this book? And then I did some digging. Turns out, Florence Henderson was married to this man, John G. Campus, Ph.D., uh, who is a hypnotist. <laughs> and you know, there isn't a lot of information about him that I could find. Um, but he is a professional hypnotist who also wrote. For any of the hypno heads out there, yeah, he wrote the professional hypnotism manual. Okay. Which is more than just another book about hypnosis. It is instead a comprehensive system for looking at people's behavior as a whole under an umbrella that is best described as subconscious behaviorism. Interesting. This man unknowingly distinguished himself. I'm looking at hypnosis.edu, by the way. He unknowingly distinguished himself as the father of hypnotherapy. If anybody knows who this is or is into this, please feel free to let me know. Um, But I guess he's really a, a big figure in the world of hypnotherapy. Married Florence Henderson of the Brady Bunch. And then wrote Relationship Strategies, the E&P Attraction. As well as many other books. Um, Let's see. So. I will. Kind of get into the meat of what this book is. Obviously I bought it. I bought it used for 12 bucks. Which is a lot for a used book. And you know I'm noticing too. I'm seeing on the back cover. $24.95. That's a lot of money. This is like the printed price. On the back. Um, and this book was published in first printing 1992. Oh, you know what? I think my copy though is from 2002. I guess, but still 2495 books weren't 2495 in 2002. Were they? I don't know. Whatever. This doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, but yeah, basically the first printing of this 1992. Do with that what you will. This is a however old oh god i'm still older than this book but it's it's in its 30s so or almost 30 okay um so basically and you know how the commitment cure is kind of reminiscent of like what we'd call the ambivalent man is what we'd call like the modern day f boy i feel like 
what Mr. Kappas outlines here is um, the emotional, sexual personality and the physical sexual personality in dating. Uh, Which is to say, to me, like, this is kind of what we talk about now in terms of, like, you know, people's love languages and attachment styles. This kind of feels like the predecessor to that. Uh, And I'll explain, because basically what Kappas is, is saying here, and I have, I've highlighted so many pages and I'm trying to not just read the entire page um, out loud, but um, he basically breaks people into two types. You're an emotional or physical sexual personality. And then there are different reasons you're either or, and then there are different behaviors, behaviors you exhibit if you're one or the other. Um, primary. There's like also you can be both, but you have like a primary and a secondary. So if you're an emotional primary, you're a physical secondary if you're, uh, you know, vice versa. Um, and his, his basically his thesis is, is that opposites attract. And this is what he means by opposites. So emotional, sexual personalities seek out physical, sexual personalities and vice versa. So, I mean, this does sound very much like stuff we talk about when we talk about attachment styles, when we talk about love languages of like, um, you know, an anxious attachment style seeks out a avoidant attachment style a lot of the time. And, you know, two secure people seek each other out and they, you know, live to be happily ever after. Um, but he's same, he seems to be implying here that everybody is one or the other, but then there's like a spectrum. So you can be like on the extreme end of being a physical sexual personality and your secondary is like barely there. Or you can be more in the middle where you exhibit a little bit of both and maybe you have one that's a little more primary, but they're almost kind of like even, you know, and then vice versa, like on the other end of the spectrum, you're like totally an emotional sexual personality. So that's kind of the the spectrum there, but it's just boiled down in these two personality types, uh, which he calls the E and P factor. Uh, And he does say in his forward about this book, he says, The book became a kind of underground classic. Until now, it has never really been marketed to the general public, yet literally thousands of individuals and couples have successfully applied these concepts to dramatically improve their personal and business relationships. So he's kind of talking himself up here. Good for him. Um, So let me find... I'll I'll now explain to you what these uh, personalities are. Uh, and of course, everything is rooted, of course, his uh, assumption is your mommy or your daddy makes you who you are, the way that you were weird, blah, blah, blah. So physicals express what they feel, while emotionals express what they think. So if mother was our primary care- caretaker... Uh, We will grow up to act like our fathers and marry someone whose sexual personality is similar to our mother's. Interesting. Okay. 
If our father was our primary caretaker, we will grow up to act like our mothers and marry someone whose sexual personality is similar to our father's. So that's what he thinks there um, about your sexual personality. And basically, most of us act like our fathers because most of us were raised by mothers is what his assumption is. Um, so the physical is quite literally... Um, the physical. Having grown comfortable with touch and affection from others in their childhood, the physical seeks to continue this enjoyable state in their social life as an adult. Physicals are comfortable receiving and desirous of getting the attention of others in a group situation. They are at home mixing and mingling in large groups of people, meeting strangers, and being the bells and bows of the ball. Emotionals, on the other hand, are not at home in large groups of people. They experience a more introverted approach to life in their childhood than did the physicals. So, basically physicals are mm, more acting on impulse. Emotionals are more inward and rational and logical. Maybe rational is the wrong word, but they are very logical people. So the physicals like to act on impulse. They like to act on feelings. And um, which is ironic because emotionals would imply that you're more emotional and acting on those things. But um, yeah, here's something he writes too. When physicals were between 9 and 14 years old, they watched father communicate with mother by touch. So physicals are obviously physical. They're into touch. Uh, physicals use their bodies to draw attention away from their emotions, which are vulnerable. The most obvious manifestation of this is in certain flashiness in attire and a pleasure in exhibiting the body. In general, physicals tend to communicate by implication. They will give you all the information leading up to and around the point they wish to make. They rely on you, the listener, to infer what they really mean. This trait is a result of their subconscious fear of rejection, a fear that permeates all of their conversations no matter the degree of rejection possible. Physicals find it easy to make small talk and to ingratiate themselves with different groups. They are never at a loss for words and can swiftly fill in all the small silences. Gregarious. Out there. So, sexual personality is formulated and sealed off by the age of 14, and from that point on, it is normally lifelong. Lee, Okay. Sexual personality develops from our upbringing. It is formed at a very early age by a complex interaction of observation, sensory stimulation, interaction with others, and a number of other different factors, including the environment. Um, so the solution, you know, trying to... Okay, uh, so, okay, basically going over this again. Acting like your father, and that's your sexual personality, is that you're acting like your father... If, if mother was our primary caretaker, as is true in the majority of families, we will grow up to act like our fathers and marry someone whose sexual personality is similar to our mother's. I find that interesting. I don't know if I believe it, but I find it interesting. Physicals will feel their pain physically and emotionally. They will express this pain by crying and by getting angry, even vindictive. They become obsessed with the thought of losing the other person, whether the relationship was healthy or not. 
They are compelled to get it back. On the other hand, emotionals think through the loss of the relationship. They often conclude that it's easier to go on to another mate than to go after someone they can't have. This is interesting to me because it's it's basically saying, okay, if you're an emotional, you have a more introverted approach to life. Physicals have a more outward gregarious approach. They're more impulsive. Emotionals more logical. Um, and that we seek each other out as a sort of like attempt to find balance. Um, but I think something else that I found interesting, and now I'm trying to find the page where I highlighted it. So here's what, he, okay. So when we're dating though, this is what he's saying. If you have 80% physical sexuality, the remaining 20% is emotional sexuality. A 60% emotional sexual, while dominant on the emotional side, possess 40% physical sexuality as their secondary behavior, which I went over. Uh, add to this the fact that your likely partner in an intimate relationship is the opposite sexuality. An 80% physical sexual will be attracted to an 80% emotional sexual. If you are a flashy dresser, it is most likely that your natural opposite prefers conservative clothes. If you like to socialize with groups of people, your natural opposite will prefer small dinner parties. How will such a couple get along? While their primary behaviors are opposites, each possesses a 20% secondary behavior that is the same as their partner's primary behavior. Each must use this secondary behavior to facilitate adjustment to each other. When sexuality is more balanced, as is the case with a 60-40 balance, 40% of each partner's behavior is the same as the other partner's. Therefore, we can say that the higher the percentage of the secondary behavior, the more alike we are. Naturally, each partner in the relationship will naturally have a greater degree of understanding of the other's primary behavior. It is this secondary behavior that allows us to understand our partner while our primary behavior provides the spark or chemistry that gets us together. That is interesting to me. What we choose to see in the other is only our sameness, our partner's secondary behavior. That's interesting too. And I'll, I'll read a little bit more to that. It says... It has been said by scientists and romantic alike that love is blind. In the beginning of any relationship, we tend to believe that the object, object of our affection is just like us in many ways. And yet, there is that chemistry. It is at this point that we, both physicals and emotionals, put on a facade. Because of the excitement and promise that the chemistry brings to our meeting, we put our best foot forward and act out a behavior that we feel is more genuine, more enticing, and more pleasing to the other. A behavior that brings out in our intended what we want to see. And because love is blind, we refuse to see that our new partner is doing the same. What we choose to see in the other is only our sameness, our partner's secondary behavior. That's what that was. I find that very intriguing. Little do we realize at the time that the differences or complementary traits far outweigh the similarities we choose to see. That also is interesting to me. Interesting in the term, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what are the things that 
attract people to one another? What is the spark? What is something, what is the reason you're attracted to someone when you meet them and not attracted to another person when you meet them? And so I'm interested in this theory of if we do, you know, take the emotional and physical sexual personality at, you know, if we believe it and say this is what's up, you know, what is being said here is, you know, as a physical, you seek out an emotional and as an emotional, you seek out a physical But even when you do that, both of you act on your secondary traits to find common ground. So it's like you don't even really know that you're seeking out an opposite because you're both focusing so much on what you have in common in the beginning. But I think what's making you magnetic to one another, what's actually making you like each other, isn't the fact that you have stuff in common. It's the fact that your opposite sexual personalities and don't really know it. That's kind of what I'm inferring here, which I find to be very interesting. Again, I don't know if I believe it, but that's an interesting thought. And then he, I know, I do remember reading later on, he goes to say a lot of relationships, you know, after the honeymoon stage, after you're like all lovey-dovey, will start to break down because now you're recognizing each other's primary sexual personalities more and you're seeing more of your differences and you don't know how to deal with that you're treating it like that person deceived you or isn't who they said they were but it's like that's who actually who they were the whole time you just didn't want to see it Um, which I find to be a really interesting perspective so he's saying when we first dating someone we don't see that our, our differences far outweigh our similarities. We're very blinded by like, oh, all these things that we have in common. I think that's interesting to think about, you know, even if you don't believe in, in the emotional or physical sexual personality, that is something to think about when you're thinking that you really like somebody, you know, isn't that the first instinct to be like, oh my God, we have so much in common. That is a very true thing that we do. We want to find a likeness. And we don't consciously think about all the ways that we might be different. And how we probably are more different than we are alike. Which again, is not necessarily a bad thing. But as Mr. Coppice here points out, it could be if you don't know how to handle it. Once, you know, reality starts setting in. So, you know, he goes on to talk about like how the two sexualities need to accommodate one another. We have to understand each other's different needs. To be aware, first of all, and then understand. Okay, and one more thing I'll add that I think is interesting that I remember reading is he mentioned that if you're a physical sexual personality you're actually less likely to participate in casual sex than the emotional sexual personality. Again, I'm just saying what Kappas is saying. I don't know if I agree, but I do find it interesting because basically his point is that the physical sexual personality places more importance on sex uh, because it's, it's so part of their, you know, personality to be so 
physical and in tune like that. And because the emotional is more logical and more detached from the sex act, it's kind of easier for them to do it and they don't enjoy it as much as the physical sexual personality does, but they are more likely to engage in it. Which, again, I don't know if I agree, but that's interesting. Um, there are... I was going to bring up the quiz. They do have a quiz in the back of the book, but I don't think the quiz will be helpful to fully understand. I think <clears throat> they have this this check mark thing here. So if you're still like, what the fuck? I don't know if I'm emotional. I don't know if I'm a physical. Here, I'm going to read some of the bullet points of what emotional sexuality kind of is. And then I'm going to read the bullet points of physical. Okay, so here's some bullet points of what the traits of an emotional sexual personality are, okay? Introverts, expression of emotions. Introverts, okay, interesting phrasing, okay. Uh, prefers socializing one-on-one. -on -one. Realistic, logical, and expresses self logically. Thinks things through before reacting. Priority, business. Capable of expressing affection only in private when the mood is right. Assumes all is okay unless told otherwise. Doesn't need or give pats on the back. Enjoys working alone. Enjoys individual sports. Comfortable with intellect. Dresses to minimize attention to the body. Decisive after weighing all consequences. Head ruled. Speaks literally. Hears inferentially. Direct and to the point. There's a bunch more. Let me skip a few. Enjoys working with mind. Affectionate only in private. Feels emotional pain mentally. Yikes. That sounds like me. Prefers to hire help to fix car things around the house, etc. Uh, no, not me really. Chooses practical gifts for partner. Needs own space and interests and gives partner the freedom to do the same. Prefers practical economic cars. <laughs> Good in a crisis and does not fall apart under stress. Uh, naturally takes the initiative in business more than in relationship. Um, okay, so those are some points for, you know, some identification markers of an emotional personality. And this is so interesting to me because reading these, I'm like, yeah, a lot of this does sound like me, but then... I'll read the physical, and a lot of it will sound like me, too. So let's let's keep going. Maybe, you know, the same for you. Okay. Uh, physical sexuality, okay? Uh, extroverts, expression of emotions. Again, wh what an interesting phrase. Okay. Extroverts, I guess, is a verb, as well as introverts in this. Okay. Enjoys socializing in groups. Expresses emotionally. Reacts. See, I, I think I do that, too. Anyway, uh, react spontaneously. Priority, intimate relationship. Expresses affection freely. Asks for reassurance and compliments when needed. Yeah, yeah. Enjoys working with people. Enjoys team sports. Definitely not me. Comfortable with body. Yeah, now. Dresses to maximize attention to the body. Sometimes, yes. Decisive and spontaneous. Heart ruled. Speaks inferentially. Hears literally. Verbose. Flexible and attention to detail. So literally the opposite of everything I just listed, but okay. Uh, affections in public and in private. Enjoys working with hands. Sexually responsive at all times. 
flexible and attention to details. Prefers sporty, fun cars. Creative and romantic. Let's out the emotion of the moment. Let's you know where you stand. Chooses gifts, thinks partner should have. Likes to include partner in all activities. Uh, feels emotional pain physically. Feels emotional and physical pain at the end of a relationship. Um, sexually responsive. Did I say that? Enjoys working with hands. Okay. Uh, heart ruled. Yeah, heart ruled over mind ruled, I think is the biggest way to simplify the differences between these two. Um, and I think it's interesting. I, and you can be a lot of both, you know, as I think I mentioned earlier, you can be like a 60-40. Uh, but then what's interesting is I took this quiz, the quiz that tells you what your uh, sexuality type is. And I think my results were, like, kind of pretty even. Like, I think I had a little bit more on the emotional sexual side. Like, maybe, like, five points more. But then he boils down something to... If your score indicates that you are predominant... Oh, wait, no. I think this is what it was for me. I was a little bit more physical than emotional. But then he goes, if your score indicates that you are predominantly physical sexual, but you answered no to question number one on the questionnaire, and yes to question number one on questionnaire two, it is possible that you are truly emotional sexual, but with a physical defense. So I'll tell you what those are. So for sexuality question number one, this was question number one that he's talking about. Uh, so it says, answer if your parents had one or more of the traits listed. A, if you were raised by both parents up to age 15 or 16, was your father more outwardly demonstrative and showing affection for you than your mother, i.e. by hugging, verbalizing feelings, complaints? I wrote no. Um, which, uh, yeah. Okay. And then for question number two, this was question number one. Answer yes if your parents had any one or more of the traits listed. A, if you were raised by both parents up to age 15 or 16, was your father more passive and undemonstrative and showing affection for you than your mother? Uh, B, if you were raised by your father only, was he undemonstrative, passive, cold, withdrawn, or overly strict? C, if you were raised by your mother only, was she undemonstrative, passive, cold, withdrawn, or overly strict? I wrote yes, because A, I think, applied to me. Raised by both parents up until I was, like, 14, basically. And then father was more passive and undemonstrative and showing affection than my mother. So, I think because... Oh, no. Then wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I did. I answered no to question number one and yes to question number one on question number two. So, yeah, it's possible that I'm an emotional sexual but with a physical defense. Hmm. And, I, you know, that does kind of make sense, I think, a little bit. But, you know, what are we going to do? This is interesting stuff, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> You know, I, I gotta say this because it's my podcast, but, um, yeah, no, I'm, I like that I picked this up, I, you know, again, it could be all bullshit, but it, even in through the bullshit, there are things that it, 
it has these little gems of thought that you can like kind of internalize and think about and you know you don't have to agree but um <clears throat> i especially really like the portions of this where it does kind of talk about how relationships do have this honeymoon stage and we can be blind to a lot of things when we're like just so blissfully in love uh, that once, you know, reality starts setting in, you kind of don't really register. It's, it's hard for us to consciously think a lot about, um, you know, when we're in the honey stage about like honeymoon stage about like the, uh, the things we don't have in common. And then that all of that does end up coming to light. Um, which I mean, again, the, now that I'm saying it out loud is also kind of obvious, but find the book if you want to keep reading it. I, I don't know if I'm going to finish this book, but, um, <clears throat> maybe. And then he, uh, he talks about how in relationships you want to re-trigger the honeymoon stage if you want your relationship to work out. I think a lot of the rest of the book is about, like, fixing your relationship if it's already kind of in turmoil, uh, which <laughs> I don't gotta worry about. Yeah, and then it goes, talks about the physical male with the emotional female, and the emotional male with the physical female, like, just the different inner, uh, dynamics. Um, yeah, and then, uh, this is maybe the last thing I'll, I'll add is, um, he kind of talks about the phases of a relationship, so obviously there's the honeymoon stage. And I'll read a little bit of that. During the honeymoon stage, there's a spectacular sexual chemistry between opposites. The emotional partner, intrigued and mentally stimulated by his or her physical lover, behaves in a manner which appears more physical than emotional. The emotional is suddenly interested in frequent intercourse and other sexual activities. He or she is delighted to concentrate over and over again on pleasing the partner. Because of the very novelty of watching the responses of a new and different individual possessed by that fascinating otherness. What? Uh, the physical partner is characteristically delighted to receive attention, acceptance, and sexual favors from his or her emotional lover. The quiet reserve, the analytical, contained, in-control manner of the emotional seems to crack and dissolve when in contact with the physical partner's white-hot sensuality. Watching the usually contained emotional behave with such uncharacteristic abandon can make the physical sexual feel very powerful indeed. The physical, motivated always by the underlying fear of rejection, particularly sexual rejection, is enraptured by the illusion that his or her own charms are so irresistible and enticing that the emotional partner has been transformed into a flattering replica of the physical. Damn. Um, so yes, basically at this stage of the relationship, there is a powerful romantic connection between the lovers, passionate leave takings and reunions, seductive glances across crowded or empty spaces, love poems and letters exchanged. What? Who the fuck does that? Uh, okay. So then as it keeps going, you, um, he gets into the other phases. The old saying, familiarity breeds contempt, describes what happens as our perceptions change after the honeymoon period when love and our partners are thrillingly new and challenging. The truth of the matter is that no relationship can 
remain at the red hot stage of its beginning, and the changes that occur are normal, although they can be disappointing and troubling. This natural decline of the previous intensity is called the plateau, or taking it for granted stage of the relationship. Once both parties feel secure, the tension between them relaxes. This modulation of feelings is natural, even desirable, and most people can accept that the lessening of feeling that occurs in the plateau stage as normal and can remain in the plateau stage for months, years, or even for a lifetime. One of the first places that this cooling down becomes evident is in the couple's bedroom, uh, where the emotional begins to revert to his or her normal take-it-or-leave-it attitude towards sex. Emotionals predictably become less enthralled with love and increasingly interested in career, hobby, friends, and other non-sexual interests. However, at the same time, the physical sexual is usually ready for a rest as well, a chance to attend to other neglected aspects of life. Um... So in most cases, he, he writes on, this tranquility is only temporary. In time, sometimes a very short time, the sexual personality of one partner reasserts itself in a way that the other partner cannot tolerate. For example, the physical's response to the shock of the end of the honeymoon stage is to make an even deeper commitment. Here is an illustration of one of the most important aspects of the physical sexual's behavior. When rejected, the physical, unlike the emotional, will not leave a relationship literally by walking out or figuratively by cutting emotional ties to the partner. When the relationship cools, physical sexuals commit even further to the relationship because they misinterpret the emotional's new aloofness as a withdrawal of affection, a rejection. Panicking, the physical, for whom sexual rejection is the ultimate annihilation, desperately reaches out, hoping to rekindle the fires of the honeymoon stage, only to be rebuffed. Of course, this new rejection compels the physical to reach out again, and the cycle continues. So that does sound very anxious-like, doesn't it? So, once there, you, you reach the plateau stage, from the from the honeymoon stage to the plateau stage, and then I believe if it, if all goes wrong and you're in turmoil and about to break up, that's the trauma stage. And then you break up. Um, and then, yeah, he also goes on to recommend, like, utilizing your secondary behavior, being more conscious of your secondary sexual personality, and trying to utilize that to create harmony in the relationship. So I guess the idea is if you know what your primary is, then you must kind of be aware and then try to utilize your secondary when dealing with somebody, when a, with a partner who is most likely going to be more like your secondary personality than your primary because opposites attract and physicals date emotionals, emotional state physicals. And so it's not really about gender as much as it is about uh, your sexual personality. Um, but, you know, I do wonder, I don't know, I don't think I read it in the book, but if one, one gender in this, you know, heteronormative kind of way that we're looking at it, if one gender does tend to have more... 
uh, is more likely to be a certain uh, sexual personality type. Um, so yeah, that is, that is this book, Relationship Strategies, The ENP Attraction by John G. Kappas, married to Florence Henderson. And hey, you know, something to think about, food for thought. Um, that's going to be this week's episode. I, uh, will have other things to talk about in next episodes. Uh, please reach out. Email thesinglepodcast at gmail.com. Follow on Instagram, thesinglepod. And uh, yeah, that'll be me for now. I will talk to you soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.